0: Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We certainly want to join with Monty in welcoming you to the service this morning and for those who are visiting with us. We've been studying the past several months about David, the life of David, and Um, The fact that David, the scripture refers to David as a man after God's own heart. And we've been looking at events in the life of David and examining those to uh, look at our own lives and see how we can use David's pattern to pattern our own lives after God's own heart. To find things there that will help us to be people after God's own heart. Um, But you know... What we find in today's lesson is that David didn't always do things according to God's own heart. Um, You know, up to this point in David's life, there has been little that we would look at him and criticize. But in the events that happen in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, we find that David was frail humanity just like the rest of us. David was chosen by God for a very special purpose, that he was going to be the beginning of a monarchy that would lead to the true king of kings being born into this world. It was be through the descendants of David that the true king of Israel, the true king of kings, Jesus Christ, would be born into this world. And that was a very important Role that David played, and again, David did a lot of things that were very um, <clears throat> showed us that he was a man after God's own heart. But again, we get to today's lesson, and we're gonna we're gonna learn some more things about David. Um, but the, what I want to focus on really this morning is how David endured the chastening of the Lord following those events. So we've talked about to this point that that David was anointed to be the next king of Israel as a young man probably somewhere between the ages of 10 and 15 the scripture doesn't tell us specifically but that after that that he goes out and we know we know he slays Goliath as as a as a youth as a young man and we see his faith in God and it was he recognized that it was by God's hand that he would prevail he recognized God's presence in his life and that it was not by his hand and by his strength that he would accomplish the things that God intended, but it was by God's power and by God's strength that he would do those things. And we find that he moves to the palace, and soon Saul recognizes that David is, in fact, the person who had been referred to by Samuel as the one who was going to take the throne from Saul. And Saul becomes very jealous and envious, and he fights to hang on. To the throne. In fact, he pursues David to put him to death, and David goes into exile for many years and is on the run from Saul. And finally, we find that Saul is killed in battle with the Philistines. And at the age of 30, David is anointed or recognized as king over Judah, over his brethren, and eventually, seven years later, will be recognized as king over all of Israel. So through much adversity from the time that he was anointed to the time that he actually assumed the throne over all of Israel, David went through a lot. He went through a lot. And then we find that he became the king over all of Israel, and suddenly things that had been very difficult for the children of Israel for years suddenly kind of fell in line as they were united under David. And they drove back the Philistines, and they captured Jerusalem, and it was made the capital city. And we find that David sought to restore the true worship to God and so he went out and got the Ark of the Covenant that had been absent from their worship for some 70 years and he went back and he got it and he brought it to Jerusalem. And we, we saw the accounts there in that chapter that talked about the importance of knowing the commandments of God and keeping the commandments of God. Even if you're a person after God's own heart that God expects true obedience from us. We find that God blessed him and he expanded the borders of the kingdom and and all of the enemies of David were subdued and there was relative peace in the land. And David remembered a promise that he had made to his friend Jonathan, the son of Saul, that he would show favor, that he would show kindness to his family. And he went out and he found Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and he brought him to the palace and he treated him as one of his own children, as one of his own sons. And we see the grace that it was extended by David. There we talked about the the uh, parallel to God's grace towards us and the place that He has given us at His table through His Son Jesus Christ. In the following chapter, we found that there is a revolt that 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 comes up in one of the neighboring kingdoms, one that had been previously previously subdued. The, the, uh, the nation of Ammon, Ammon, however you pronounce that. And uh, the king there died, and his son uh, was heir to the throne and became the king. And so David sent ambassadors to go there and say, hey, we want to be friends. We want to we coexist with you guys and, and be allies together. And the, uh, the new king there uh, didn't he was very suspicious. He didn't trust David. And it resulted in, in a battle and, and, and fighting between the nations. And uh, so then that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 11. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, and one says, It happened in the spring of that year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants With him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, which was their capital city. It says, but David remained in Jerusalem. So there's a couple of very important points we want to note that the scripture points out about these events. Number one, it says, it was in the spring of the year, it was the time when kings go out to battle. So where would we have expected David to be? David would have been expected to be out where he was supposed to be, out in battle. But the Bible says that he sent out his armies, but he remained at Jerusalem. You know, when we can, let's think about this for a minute. This is, at this point in his life, David's somewhere around 50 years old. From the time he was a youth, probably around the age of 15, he has been a warrior. He has been at battle. He has been in uh, what we would call stressful situations. He has been been in in great adversity from from that time, from the time that he served as a captain over Saul's armies and as he was on the run for Saul and all of those things and finally he's made king over all and and he he expands the borders and there's peace in the region and he keeps his promise to Jonathan. And you know what? It's just, I think David just wanted to rest. He He wanted to sit back and relax for a little while. He just wanted to stay home. So he sends Joab and the armies out, but he wants a little time off. He wants a little time to relax. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all need that. You know, the scripture teaches us that God did, did all the creation in six days and he rested on the seven. There's a time to rest. There's a time that we need to recharge our batteries and we need to rest. <clears throat> but what David didn't realize is maybe we sometimes may not realize that even though we may not be in battle physically, that we are still in a battle spiritually. <clears throat> even though we may take time off to let our bodies rest, we cannot rest spiritually. You know, the scripture teaches us in Galatians 5 and 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to, the, to another, so that you cannot do the things that you wish. There is a battle that's constantly going between the flesh and the spirit. And even though we may want to rest at times, that battle does not stop. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Just because David took a few days off didn't mean that that battle was not still going on. And finally, 1 Corinthians 10 and 12 says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I think David got it to a point in his life that he felt like he could relax, that he could kind of sit back and didn't have to be as vigilant, that he could kind of just let himself go a little bit. At some point, David stopped following God's desires for him and started following his own desires. And the result was a fall. But take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. And David's fall was from a rooftop, <laughs> as, so to speak, as we remember. That it resulted in his ultimate sin with Bathsheba. His attempt to cover that up that resulted in the murder of of Uriah, her husband, and not only him, but 18 others who were in battle with him that sometimes we forget. You know, in recent weeks and months, both Ian and, and Justin have spoken quite a bit about these events and, and David's repentance and his confession of his sin once this was passed. And so we're not going to dwell on the actual events that happened there this morning, but we want to look closely at what happens afterwards. <clears throat> the final verse of chapter 2011 uh, in 2nd 2 Samuel, where these events, events are described, when David thinks he has covered up this sin, the scripture says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. There were going to be consequences. To what David had done. And the Lord was not going to overlook those things. So, before I get ahead of myself. So we remember that David was the king. And there were, there were judicial cases that were brought before David. There were, when there was a case that needed his judgment. It was brought before him to adjudicate between citizens. And so Nathan the prophet comes to David with what David believes is one of these cases that he's going to act as judge. And David describes a situation where there's a rich man who has many flocks. He has a lot of sheep. And he lives, lives next door to a poor man who only has one little ewe lamb. And that little ewe lamb is a part of his family. It even eats the food that he eats. He gives it to drink from his own cup. It's a part of his family. And he loves that little lamb. And there's a, there's a stranger that comes to visit the rich man. And the rich man, rather than taking up one of his own sheep to dress and prepare for his guest goes over and takes the sheep from the poor man who lives next to him. And David hears this, and David is enraged. How could anyone be so selfish and so callous? My words, not David's, but probably what was going through his mind. The scripture says, So David was David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man has... The man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the land because he has done this thing and because he had no pity. So notice David's judgment. So David is pronouncing judgment in what he believes is a case between two of his citizens. You know, Wednesday night, brother Ian talked to us about Judgment. He talked about, you know, it's better not to judge because whatever judgment we judge is going to be measured against. Whatever we use in measuring judgment against others is going to be measured back against us. And guess what? Who was David judging? David was judging David. And so he had to be shocked at the words that Nathan spoke next. You are the man, said Nathan. David had to be shocked. What do you mean I am the man? Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. David, I've been with you all of your life. There's many times that I protected you, and I shielded you from the desires of Saul to to kill you, and I protected you, and, and I was with you, and I gave you your master's house. And your master's wives for keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if it had been too little, I would have given you more. I gave you everything, David. I gave you everything. Those words had to hit David like a ton of bricks. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his house? What did he say? He said, you despised the commandment of the Lord. We will, let's look at that word despised. To look down with disrespect or aversion. To regard as negligible, worthless, or distasteful. So what did, what did Nathan say to David? You despise the commandment of the Lord. And you know what? Anytime that we sin, we do the same thing. You know, before we can commit sin, we have to consciously override what we know to be right, the commandment of the Lord, what Lord the Lord expects of us. We have to despise that. As, hard, as painful as that is to acknowledge or to think about, that's what's required of us. And those words had to be painful to David. He said, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. How appropriate the parable given by Nathan to David about what he had done. About he who had anything took the one thing of love of, of his fellow soldier, of his loyal subject and then covered it up. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. David, you did this in secret, but your punishment, what you're going to have to be endure is going to be witnessed by everyone. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David's confession was prompt, it was without excuse, it was with full resolution and recognition of what he had done. The thing he had sought to hide for all of these months. We know that that was in actuality a relief to David. To acknowledge that. To to unload this burden that he had been carrying for all of these months. But then he has to think about the punishment that he just pronounced Himself. The per- this person's going to die. This person should be put to death. That's what's deserving, said David. That's what he himself deserved. But Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin, that you shall not die. There was mercy extended by God to David. However, because by the deed that you have done, By this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord, to blaspheme. And the child also which is born to you shall surely die. There was a consequence that David was spared of. He was spared of death. He was spared of the penalty of death. But he was not spared of the other consequences that he unleashed when he committed these sins. Those things he would not be spared of. So I want to think about this for a little bit this morning. Enduring the chastening of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son that he receives. So that tells us, if we are the children of God, that there are times that we are going to have to en- endure God's chastening, God's discipline upon us. And certainly that was true of David. <clears throat> the Bible teaches us that we shall, we're going to reap what we sow. <clears throat> Though we may have forgiveness from the Lord, we still have consequences for our action and the correction from the Lord that we're going to receive. And how do we handle that? How do we handle God's correction? How did David handle God's correction? As expressed in the reading this morning, Psalm 51, where David prays to God, following these events and praying for forgiveness and a clean heart and restoration. And he said, create in me, O God, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore me unto The joy of thy salvation. Sorry. And uphold me with thy free spirit. So David prays for restoration. David prays for forgiveness. He He prays for God to create a clean heart within him. And to accomplish those things, there's a lot that David's going to have to endure. He has the forgiveness of God, but there is much more molding that's going to have to take place in the life of David. There are many more, there's many more lessons he's going to have to learn through this process. And let's look at how he handled those things. Let's look at the things that God said to David. First of all, he said, why have you despised me? I mean, again, those had to be painful words. Those are words that we need to recognize in our own lives when we sin, that we have despised God. We've turned our back on the word of God, on the commandments of God to do our own will rather than his. He said, the sword shall not depart from your house ever. The, The sword would never depart from that time forward from the house of David. There was going to be difficulty and bloodshed among his own family from that time forward he said I'm going to raise up adversity against you from your own house you're going to have you're going to have a difficult time because of those of your own family there's going to be great adversity that's brought against you and he said the child that is born into you Bathsheba shall surely die you know we see these these things come to pass very quickly the child that is born to him in Bathsheba dies when it's seven days old. And we remember the, the account where David prayed and he fasted for God that, in hopes that God would not fulfill, that he would, he would spare David of this consequent, consequence and his family of this consequence, but he doesn't. And we remember that afterwards David gets up and he washes his face and and he goes on about his lives and he, and he praises God despite all this, recognizing again the consequent, that this was a consequence. He said, the sword shall not depart from your house. In the events of the lives of David's children, we see this unfold and it happens very quickly. We see the sin that David had committed almost um, duplicated by one of his sons in a very selfish way. in an an act against his half-sister, one of David's other, other children. And that was Amnon, David's oldest son, who committed this act. And David hears about it, and David is grieved, and he's unhappy, but he doesn't do anything about it. And why? Because David probably recognizes, I'm guilty of the same thing. And he maybe had lost the... Moral authority in his own mind to execute judgment on his own son. And so he, he doesn't do anything. But Tamar, his daughter's older brother, Absalom, when he sees nothing is being done, resolves that he will take things into his own hands. And he bides his time for two years. And he plots against his brother, Amnon. And he arranges a celebration, and he invites all of the king's sons to this celebration. And he instructs his servants. When you see Amnon becoming light of heart through the celebration, he said, you fall on him and you kill him. He said, you're not going to be held responsible because it's me who's giving you this order. And so there were all the sons of David, and they were at a celebration with Absalom. And suddenly this, this happens, and the servants of Absalom kill their brother, kill his brother. All of the others see this, brothers see this and they flee because they probably fear that they're going to be next. So they're they're fleeing back to Jerusalem. But Absalom knows he can't go back. His father is going to be grief stricken. He's going to be held accountable for this so he flees. And he goes into exile for a period of time. He flees to a place called Gesher, <clears throat> which is, according to this map, about 70 miles northeast of Jerusalem, and he's there for a period of three years. And David grieves for his son, Amnon, and he also grieves for Absalom, his son. And even though he longs for Absalom, and he, he, he's... he's grief-stricken because of all of these events, David still recognizes that ultimately he's responsible. But he longs for reconciliation with, with Absalom. And Absalom, after a period of three years, Joab convinces David to let Absalom come back to Jerusalem. But you know what? Absalom's heart was never again with his father. And when Absalom Absalom returned to Jerusalem, he came with a motive. And that motive was to overthrow his father. Remember the promise of Nathan. I'm going to bring adversity against you from your own house. And that adversity was going to come through Absalom. And so for a period of two years, David, even though Absalom is back, refuses to see him. And what is Absalom doing? He, He is plotting. And he is preparing and he's going out and he's winning the hearts of Israel. Proclaiming himself to be a judge over them. But just, you know, deciding that I will be a much better judge. I will rule much better over you than my father David. And he wins the hearts of Israel. And finally he asked to go to Hebron. He asked David's permission to go down here to south to Hebron. And during that time he assembles an army. And they prepared themselves that they're going to go to Jerusalem. And they're going to they're gonna besiege the city, and they're going to capture David, and they're going to put him to death. That is Absalom's plan. It's a coup. Second Samuel chapter 15 tells us, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And what that meant was, David, you're outnumbered you got to get out. you got to get out of the city. He's got all of Israel with him. They're going to come and take you. So David gives the instructions to all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem. Arise and let us flee, and let us, for we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us and suddenly bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. David not only was seeking to not go to battle with his own son, but he wanted to spare the lives of all of those who had been loyal to him. And he said, we've got a moment. We've got a window of opportunity. We've got to get out. And so they did. They evacuated the city. It says, and the king went with all the people after him and they stopped at the outskirts. So they're going out of Jerusalem. They stop at the outskirts of town. Then all his servants passed before him. And the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the Gittites, 600 men that had followed him from Gath passed before the king. Who were these men? These were those mighty men who had been loyal to David from the time that he had fled from Saul, that he was out there in exile all those years. The mighty men of David who had been loyal to him with him all these years, they were still loyal. And they followed David out and they all passed before David as they're passing over <clears throat> the brook there as they exit out of Jerusalem. It says, and all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. What a sad day. (laughs) What a sad day this was for David, and it says the whole country wept. There was also Zadok. The priest and all the Levites with him bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God. And Abiathar went up until the people had finished crossing over from the city. So who else was with David? All the priests. They brought the Ark of the Covenant. And there was Zadok. And there was Abiathar. And Abiathar, remember back in the time that David was fleeing from Saul, was the lone survivor of Saul's slaughter of all the priests at Nob who had been faithful to David all of these years. And so all of them are together, and all of them are heartbroken over the events that are happening. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him this is the pivotal verse in these events to me. So what does David say? Number one, David, David honors God first and foremost. Do you remember the events that happened that resulted in the ark being captured by the Philistines when the sons of Eli, the priest at that time, Without the sanction of God, went and God, the Ark of the Covenant, to carry it out into battle with them, treating it as some kind of an idol with mystical powers, which it was not. It represented the presence of God with the people. And so that resulted in a disaster, and David said, we're not going to repeat that. First of all, you take, Ark, you take the Ark back. You take it back into the city. The next thing he says is, If I I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. David knew who was in control. God is in control. David recognized again that the events that were happening ultimately were a a result of his own failings, they were a result of his own actions. It was up to the providence of God whether David would be spared of more consequences including the total loss of the throne. He recognized it was in God's hands. He said if if the Lord will if he will bring it back he will bring me back and, and I will see both it and his dwelling place in Jerusalem. He longed for restoration He prayed for restoration. But ultimately, he knew it was up to God whether he would be restored. Contrast that with what we saw in the life of Saul. You know, Saul was faced with a similar situation, wasn't he? When Samuel came to him and told him, The throne throne is taken away from you. What did Saul do? He decided to fight against the will of God. He would not accept God's decision. David, a man after God's own heart, was fully acceptant of whatever God's decision was concerning his place on the throne. And not only that, he said, but if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. Whatever God does to me, I deserve it, (laughs) was David's reply. Was what was in David's heart. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered, and he went barefoot, and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went. What a horribly sad scene. As they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're going past the Mount of Olives, and David is leading them, and he's barefoot, and he's got his head covered, and he's weeping. He is mourning. They are in mourning. David is in mourning because of the sins that he committed. David is in mourning because all that God has blessed him with, he is leaving behind. The events of all those years that led him to that. And he is in mourning because it is his own son that is bringing this adversity against him. And not only him, but all those people that are with him are suffering because of the consequences of David's sin. But they are in mourning. And I'll recall, it brings to my mind the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. (sighs) Psalm 51 talked about a broken and contrite spirit. David was broken. He was contrite. He was mourning. But God's comfort was still there. It would still be there. Now when King David came to Behurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shammai the son of Gerah, coming from there. And he came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right and on his left. So David's there in the midst of all of his soldiers and his guard. And here comes this guy out who's a descendant of Saul. And he's picking up rocks and he's throwing them at him and he's cursing David. And you're going, man, this guy's got some nerve. And Shemaiah said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into, your hand, into the hand of, your, of Absalom your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Those are harsh words. Most of those words are not true. David was not guilty of the blood of Saul. In fact, David went to great lengths to make sure that he was not guilty of the blood of Saul. He spared Saul's life on numerous occasions. He was not guilty of that. What the man was saying was not true. It was not David who had usurped the throne of Israel. David didn't usurp it. God gave it to him. God anointed, he chose David. That was his throne. He didn't usurp Saul's position. And he said, and God's delivered the kingdom in your hand, Absalom. That wasn't resolved either. Though David was fleeing, though that was up for grabs at the moment, God's decision had not been made. But there was some truth also in what Shema said, he said, so now you are caught in your own evil. <laughs> Those words had to ring true with David. Though everything else this man said was false, that was true. And then Abishai the son of Zariah, said to the king, "Abishai the son of Zariah, said to the king, we should, why should this dead dog curse but my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? What did David see in this? David saw the hand of God. David heard those words and he said, You know what? I may not be guilty of all those things he's saying I'm guilty of, but I'm guilty of some things that I'm worth worth being cursed out for. He said, I, I think, I see God's hand in this. It is God who's told him to come out and curse me because I deserve it. I deserve to be cursed. That's what David's words were. And David said to Abishai and to his servants, See how my own son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more than may this Benjamite. How I mean, how much worse can things get? My own son is seeking to kill me. How much more can this guy humiliate me by cursing me out? <laughs> That's a small thing, David said. He said, it may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and that the Lord will repay me good for his cursing this day. David was willing to patiently endure, even if it was wrong, the cursing that was against him because ultimately David knew that he was guilty. And he didn't seek revenge, but he sought. it the mercy of God. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, and so they refreshed themselves there. They came to the Jordan River. So they had passed out of Jerusalem, and they had passed over to the Jordan River, and they had passed over. And ultimately they would flee up to the, that area where it says the forest of Ephraim, and that's where ultimately Absalom is going to be killed. So these events are going to happen. David, through the providence of God, escapes an entrapment by Absalom and ultimately Absalom himself is killed even though David has instructed his soldiers to spare the life of Absalom when word came to Joab that Absalom had been caught in a tree and was helpless Joab thrust his heart through with three darts and Absalom died and the revolt was over And the trumpet was blown, and the people returned. But when David heard the words about Absalom, the, the scripture says, Then the king was deeply moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. These were not rejoiceful words to David that the battle was over, because in the process he had lost his son, and he wept. And he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place, I would have traded places with you, says David. Ultimately, all of this is my fault. Now, let's think about that. It was ultimately David's fault. Now, was it David's fault that Absalom made the decisions he made? No. (laughs) Was it David's fault Was David responsible for the decisions made by Amnon? No. They were ultimately responsible for their own actions, but it was David's sin who had brought about the circumstances that resulted in those things. And David would have willingly taken the place of Absalom, his son. Then the king returned and came into Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal. So the people of Judah came out to meet the king and to escort the king across the Jordan. So the battle's over, and they're all returning to Jerusalem, and those of Judah go out to meet them and to escort them back. And Shammai, remember him? (laughs) The son of a Benjamite, who was from Behurim, hastened and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba the servant of the house of Saul and 15 sons and his 20 servants with him and they went over the Jordan before the king and then a ferry boat went across to carry the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shema the son of Gira fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan and he said to the king do not let my lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on that day when my lord the king left Jerusalem. So what is Shema doing? He's thinking back about what he did. Running along and cursing David and throwing rocks. And all of a sudden David's going to be returned to his, to his throne. And is afraid. And so he comes to David and he falls down before him. And he asks him to not hold him accountable for those things. He says, for I your servant know that I have sinned. Therefore I am the first to come today of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. He said, I was going to be the first one here, because I've sinned against you. And I need your mercy. But Abishai, the son of Jeriah, answered and said, Shall not Shammai be put to death for this? Again, here's one of David's close confidants and said, He needs to be punished. He needs to be put to death. You need to take your vengeance on him, David. You can't let people get by with stuff like that. You're the king he deserves it but david said what have i to do with you you sons of jerah that you should be adversaries to me today why are you becoming my adversaries shall any man be put to death today in israel no for i do i not know that i am today i am king over israel therefore the king said to Shemai, you shall not die and the king swore to him what was what did nathan tell david you shall not die the mercy that was extended to david He also extended in return. You know, David was never the same after these events. David would never forget his actions or the consequences of what he had done for the rest of his life. There is an overshadow of sorrow in the life of David from this point forward. But you know what? David was spared was a a lot more consequences than those. Just like we are. We face consequences for our sin, but the ultimate consequence we are spared. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed, <clears throat> Let this cup pass from me, he was praying that the consequences of our sins. He could be spared of if there was any way. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus suffered the consequences of all of our sins so that we ultimately don't have to face those consequences. But we will have to endure chastening of the Lord What do we learn from David in these events? Number one, when when we suffer the consequences of our own sin, we need to recognize and accept that there are self-imposed consequences that we are responsible. We need to recognize and accept with patience that God will chasten, that God will discipline his children. We, at times, are going to face the discipline of God. In those times, we need to pray for restoration and healing. And that we need to trust in God's love and in His providence and in His righteous judgment. That the things that we are going to go through are going to be for our benefit. God desires what is good for us. And sometimes what is good for us is for us to suffer the consequences of what we've done. And sometimes it's to feel the hand of His discipline upon us because of those things. But the other thing we know about David is he never gave up. And he never lost hope. And he never lost his trust and his hope and his faith in God. Neither should we. God's discipline upon us is evidence that we are his children. That he wants to restore us. And that ultimately if we are faithful to him, he will. Never knowing the minds of those present. If there's anything we can assist you with this morning, whether it's in obedience to the gospel or if we can pray with you or for you, we would invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.